This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Nine active-duty Chicago police officers had signed up as members of the Oath Keepers. That's a far-right anti-government group that played a big role in the January 6th riot in the U.S. Capitol. And if you count former CPD officers, that number grows to 27. WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times looked into these officers with help from the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. Now, the investigation found that many of the officers have misconduct files that show a history of disturbing racist behavior. To learn more, we spoke with Dan Mahalopoulos, investigative reporter on WBEZ's government and politics team, and Tom Shuba, Chicago Sun-Times criminal justice reporter. I started off by asking Dan to take us back to the moment when the Oath Keepers membership leaked and why they wanted to look into these records. You know, it was a few months after January 6th, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, Oath Keepers had a big role in that. Uh, Suddenly you have leaked membership rules of tens of thousands of members, and our colleagues at NPR, our our former colleague here at WBZ, Odette Youssef, and some others at NPR found that there were active Chicago cops, active LAPD, active NYPD. Wow. And so that got us to wondering, and and CPD at that time says, oh, we're going to investigate all this. But we were wondering if they really did that. Tom, the, the Oath Keepers, they actively recruit law enforcement. What's the reason for that strategy? Well, I think it's kind of in the name, right? Uh, law enforcement, they take an oath that's just like uh, members of the military. And so the Oath Keepers was started by a guy named Stuart Rhodes. He was an Army paratrooper. Um, so essentially what it was was a uh, kind of a, an allusion to that oath that you take, right? And so... That's the formation of the group was around that. And it was kind of an outgrowth of your official work. Now, Tom, there are among uh, a dozen cops in Illinois beyond CPD that have ties to the Oath Keepers. And one of them is Matthew Polish. Here's a little bit of his view on what the group represents. I believed they were pro-law enforcement. I believed they were pro-fire department and pro-military. At the time, I had about four years on the job. I thought they were, and I also thought they were, uh, like Illinois at the time was not a concealed carry state. I thought they were helping to bring concealed carry to states that did not have it at the time. What do you make of that description? He says pro-law enforcement, pro-military, Dan. Yeah, that's a um, UIC cop. It's a campus cop at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And, you know, he was confronted uh, just last year, the Anti-Defamation League, you know, a leading Jewish civil rights group, 
uh, brought to the attention of the UIC campus police chief that um, there's an officer there and told them what all the Oath Keepers are about. But when they brought him in there, um, you know, like, like he said there in the clip, uh, he said he didn't know it was an anti-government group, did not know it was an extremist group, and uh, did not participate in their activities and had not been uh, a member for a very, very long time. And Tom, for the person listening who still might not be connecting the dots, why is membership in the Oath Keepers so concerning? Well, the Oath Keepers have had a you know a, a long list of kind of alarming arrests throughout their history, starting from very early on, um, from trying to acquire uh, dangerous explosive weapons to one member trying to take over a Tennessee courthouse to armed standoffs with federal authorities in multiple cases. Um, this is a group that has taken on the government head on. Um, and it's based on them uh, advancing their own ideology. You found that many of the cops on the Oath Keepers membership list worked in the special operations section, which as we know, disbanded. So remind us what that unit was and why it disbanded, Tom. Well, the SOS is one of the largest scandals in the history of the Chicago Police Department, and uh, it was based around basically a group of officers working as a robbery crew and targeting drug dealers, but also just average Chicagoans. And the purported ringleader of the group, Jerome Finnegan, was ultimately sent to prison for a, a dozen years because uh, over a plot to, to kill a, a colleague. Mm. You looked into police misconduct files, Dan, and, and that led you to some Chicagoans. And, and they talked about how their lives were impacted by some of these officers. I want to start with Deborah Payne's story. Give us her experience with Sergeant Michael Nowacki. So, like I told you, when we found out a couple of years ago that there were cops who are Oath Keepers, for me, the bigger question was, what kind of cops are they? What kind of interactions have people in the community had with officers who would subscribe uh, to this sort of ideology, who would uh, align themselves and support such a group? Because these are dues-paying members. That list listed people who actually signed up, paid their dues, and told them why they wanted to join and what they could bring to the group. And in the course of pulling hundreds of misconduct cases against these officers. I mean, we filed more than 200 open records requests with the CPD and other agencies. We came across Deborah Payne, uh, who was a person in Englewood, a community activist, before Christmas a few years back, wanted to help some poor single moms, some homeless single uh, moms and their families, their children, collect some gym shoes and different things to give those kids some Christmas gifts and sent out an email to people that she knew in the community. Mm -hmm. One of them who she met at a community policing meeting, ironically designed to improve relationship between the public and the police was this Sergeant Michael Nowacki. And when she wrote to him, he wrote back, you're a goof. And she replied, why would you do that? And why would you say something like that about me when I'm trying to help some poor people? And he said, you don't know about me. I don't care about inner city poor people. Wow. I'm not concerned about inner city poor people. This was on official Chicago police email. Well, let's let's hear a clip from Deborah herself. He's working in a neighborhood like this and he can verbally talk down on the neighborhood. What about the oath he made to serve and to protect, regardless where he was at? 
So, Dan, she also makes the point that, you know, someone who would react like that and say something like that with that level of callousness and join a group like the Oath Keepers, they're carrying a gun and they're patrolling the streets of Inglewood. Yeah, I think she's a person who had good experiences with the police, actually, she told me, before and since that. But that was such a negative experience. It happened in 2007. She felt so bad. She she was reduced to tears when we found her and interviewed her about this, and she bravely talked about it. She was very scared to make a complaint, but she went and made a complaint uh, together with another community activist. And their point was, if this officer has that kind of attitude toward the inner city poor people. And again, we're talking about Englewood here. So in her mind, we're obviously talking about a a predominantly black community. Why is he assigned there? Why did he want to become a police officer if he doesn't want to serve the diverse communities of Chicago? He was suspended. He admitted he did that. It was on email, like we said. Three days is all he got. Three days. Three days suspension, which he already had 150 hours of comp time at that point, and he used a bit of that to cover the suspension. So it was less than a slap on the wrist, continued to police, and is still policing in the city of Chicago. Wouldn't call us back, by the way. I'm going to stick with you for another moment here, Dan, because uh, special education teacher Brandon Forbish's story, that one really stuck with me because it shows this long-lasting psychological effect that a bad run-in with a cop can have. Brandon Forbish um, is someone that uh, we also found looking through the misconduct files uh, of um, these officers who turned up on the Oath Keepers list. The officer that he made a complaint against was John Nessesi Peruk. Um, Brandon Forbish was leaving a church um, in Austin on the west side one night. He lives in the south suburbs at the time. Goes the wrong way down a one-way street. You know, we, we know how many one-way streets yes. there are in different parts of Chicago. And if you're not familiar with the neighborhood, um, gets pulled over. Uh, the ticket was dismissed. But before he got a ticket, he says that Officer Nessesi Peruk subjected him to a barrage of racial slurs, um, all sorts of racial slurs. He filed a report that night with his pastor, Ira Acri, but it was dismissed. Uh, Nessesi Peruk denied it said there was no video or audio evidence. His partner said he didn't hear anything. Um, And Brandon Forbish is left, as he put it, discombobulated by the fact that there were no consequences there. And we come back to him years later, and he's still very traumatized by it. He told the investigator, and we found a recording of his interview when he made a complaint saying that the incident had left him afraid of of white cops in particular. Mm Mm-hmm. Something we've heard before, for sure, um, from from other black men in the city and just across the country. Uh, you talked with Chicagoan Jiren Mitchell, too. And what he said was, you know, when he learned that the cop that he had a previous bad experience with was a member of the Oath Keepers, that that was the, quote, missing piece. Yeah, what do you actually, mean? Actually, his experience was in the south suburbs with an Illinois state police officer, one of these uh, dozen other officers outside of Chicago that we found on the Oath Keepers list. Um, and, and it's a, a Illinois state trooper uh, named Matthew Dumas who um, went to his house looking for Jaron Mitchell's brother after he fled a traffic stop on, on a highway. And um, he said, you know, my brother's not here. His grandmother backed him up, said, my brother is not here. Uh, takes Jaron Mitchell into custody, cuffs him, puts him in the back of the car and detains him um, until they realize that's not the car they're looking for. And it's, they got the wrong guy. And 
Jair Mitchell was a top athlete at um, a high school in the South Suburbs, a state champion in track, had just committed to playing Division I football at Northern Illinois University. He sued because his his knee was injured, and the state eventually um, settled with Jair Mitchell for $210,000. Uh, he missed uh, a lot of his um, the end of the season, and it really hurt his career at NIU, um, where he had been re- very, very um, highly recruited. Mm. Tom, what kind of disciplinary action was there for these officers? I mean, Dan already mentioned the three days for that one that dealt with uh, with uh, Deborah. Well, you know, we found very little disciplinary action. And this was something that the Department of Justice pointed out in a report uh, after the killing of Laquan McDonald, uh, that very few uh, disciplinary cases result in sustained findings and discipline. Um in a case that specifically uh, targeted a few officers involved with the Oath Keepers, uh, there was n- there was n- no action whatsoever. And actually, what the department determined was that simply joining a group like the Oath Keepers uh, doesn't violate any departmental rules. You talked with an officer who said that he felt alienated by the Oath Keepers culture. So tell us more about Bienvenido Acevedo and why he now feels targeted for his decision to become a member of the group. Well, Bienvenido Acevedo was uh, nice enough to talk to me and and talk to me about his history with with the Oath Keepers, which I think was important for our readers to understand uh, some of the things that the officers told us about why they got involved and how they view the group now. Um, He was pulled in by a, a handful of CPD officers, uh, as we saw in the data, you know, this is, seemed to be very fairly common that there was recruitment among officers. And as he got more involved in the group and, and, and started to see what the different members looked like, he said, these guys don't look like me. He described them as down south guys. He's a Hispanic uh, Puerto Rican guy. He's from Logan Square. So he felt like he really didn't fit in. And that was uh, contributed to his decision to kind of just distance himself. And he actually said he began distancing himself from the group before he even stopped paying his dues. He continued to be paid out to, or to be charged on his credit card, but he, he wasn't involved with the group anymore. He said, mm-hmm. he said he wasn't reading their literature. So, um, he was definitely an interesting, uh, kind of case study here. Did y'all talk with John Kenanzara, president of the fraternal order of police? We did talk to John and, you know, he described uh, the efforts to root out extremism in, in Chicago and in the police department as a witch hunt. Um, he said that he was upset that Inspector General Deborah Witzberg had been going so far as to push the police department to reopen investigations. Um, but he also said there was a line for him, right? And he said the line was kind of really uh, intense forms of extremism, such as trying to overthrow the government, or he brought up the example of the attempted uh, uh, plot to uh, kidnap uh, Michigan Governor uh, Whitmer. So he had a line there where he said, I think you're going too far just going after guys for their association, but... If it goes this far, they should be they should absolutely be kicked out of the police department. And overarchingly, he said, though, officers should be judged for their actions and not their associations. So here's the thing, Dan. When we talk about police misconduct, right, we got many activists and organizers who talk about the fact that it's the system and it's the department as a whole that is the problem here. 
Others say, no, 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 it's just certain bad actors, right? Um, So-called bad apples. But when we see decision makers at CPD tolerating things like this, folks being members in extremist groups, and then the kind of behavior that you all are telling us now from officers, is there room for us to say that it's just certain officers or is this an overall culture issue? Well, how many are actually involved in the Oath Keepers, like we said, are 9 and 27, uh, including retired officers. Obviously, we should point out the department has thousands, more than 10,000, I think, sworn officers at this point. Um, now, the data covered basically 2010 to 2018, so we don't know if any others uh, may have joined who are still there. We do know a lot of them, when they went there, said that they were going to recruit among their, quote, brothers in blue, that uh, one guy even offered to use his position of authority at roll calls to try to recruit uh, more members. You know, I don't want to generalize on on how much fertile ground he might have found, but the separate issue is, you know, the tolerance. And when these cases come up, whether they're misconduct like excessive force and racial slurs and, and, and issues like that, um, there's always been a history that they kind of get dismissed rather readily, which, again, we found uh, to be the case with, with these officers and the many complaints against them. And then there's also how they dealt with it when they, they came uh, to the realization a couple of years ago that there were Oath Keepers and, and how they view what they can and, and should do about yeah. those particular officers. Now, it was a campaign promise of Mayor Johnson's to root out extremism within the ranks of CPD. But some of the officers that are connected to the Oath Keepers, they're still on the force. So, Dan, do we know why this hasn't been a priority yet? All right. To be fair, he was just elected uh, earlier this year and and sworn in in May. Uh, But Mayor Brandon Johnson was unequivocal on the campaign trail. His platform uh, stated very, very plainly that he is for terminating all members of extremist groups in the force, and he specifically named the Oath Keepers and another notorious group that was very involved in the January 6th Capitol riot, the Proud Boys. Um, but, you know, as we've pointed out, the the, the discipline has been lax. Um, one Proud Boy got a three-month suspension. A lot of city council members uh, thought that he should have been fired from the CPD. Uh, none of the Oath Keepers have been punished in any way. Most of them hadn't even been investigated and it was closed before Brandon Johnson took office. But, you know, I talked to Gary Gatewood, who's a deputy mayor uh, that, that oversees this, this, this sort of stuff for Brandon Johnson's administration. And he says that's still uh, clearly their position to, to rid the department of extremists uh, who, who are working uh, in the CPD. Yeah. Let's hear some of what Larry Snelling, who's the city's top cop had to say, because you talked with him last week. When we know that we have someone who could ruin those relationships with our community members through discriminatory behavior, we need to step up immediately and uh, uh, remove that person uh, from our ranks and remove that person from our department. So, Dan, what would you need to see to be able to say, yeah, he's taking this seriously? Well, for one thing, when we went to them last week and said, you know, they closed the investigation that they had opened a couple of years ago, quite a long time ago, about a year ago. But we pointed out to them that, that the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, had given them the names of these officers who are Oath Keepers in the CPD. And so the CPD told, uh, told Tom, you know, we're going to essentially uh, 
do another investigation uh, into all of the officers mm-hmm. whose names were pointed out in that letter that went, like I said, from the ADL to a top official in August of 2022. So how thorough will that investigation be? I guess to answer your question, um, in terms of finding out the exact connections between mm-hmm. those individual officers and, and the Oath Keepers. So, Tom, there are currently a couple of rules that can be used to, to fire an officer who's got membership ties to extremist groups. What are those? Well, that's a, so this is obviously a topic of great debate. Uh, the, 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 the Inspector General, Deborah Witzberg, said, uh, you know, these are rules two and three, uh, which prohibit uh, discrediting the prop department and essentially working against its stated goals. Um, the department, though, like I said, has come out and said that there is no current rule that they saw simply against just being a member of a group like the Oath Keepers. Mm. Well, the the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability has a a new draft policy that would prohibit association with with criminal organizations. How did that come to be? Well, when the um, department puts in place a policy now, the CCPSA, which is a new civilian-led panel, um, has to be part of the process, the policy-building process. And so CPD started this, and essentially they've gone back and forth, and they have what I believe is close to final language of this policy, and uh, it will soon be voted on by the commission. Um, essentially what this does is it it takes a policy that currently prohibits officers from being members of what are called criminal organizations, which have typically, uh, you know, been gangs in the past. And it expands this to include groups that are, quote, bias-based. And there's a a range of of different points uh, that that can qualify a group for being a bias-based group. Um... And so this would seemingly sweep up groups like the Proud Boys and like the Oath Keepers because there's mm-hmm. specific language dealing with things like attempting to overthrow the government. Um, so soon, most likely, we will have this policy in place that will give people a clear impression of what groups you can and cannot be a part of as a, as a member of the Chicago Police Department. And on top of that, the Bureau of Counterterrorism will compile a list of these groups and keep it internally. Now, Dan, Tom brought up the city's inspector general, Deborah Witzberg, there. Something that she also said was that rooting out extremism and investigating the officers who are members of this group, that it's part of getting, quote, the police force we deserve. Can you explain a little bit of that for us? Right. Um, Deborah Witzberg thinks this is a really, really important issue. You know, you mentioned before the police union and, and John Kenzera told Tom that these are goofy witch hunts to investigate uh, these officers. But Deborah Witzberg has been very assertive in saying that CPD has really dropped the ball on this. She's urged them in, in the handful of investigations into extremist uh, ties to, uh, to cops. She's urged them to reinvestigate and, you know, she disagrees with the CPD's notion that membership in and of itself is not a fireable offense. Um, you know, she believes that that rule, too, uh, could apply, among other rules. That was the same rule, by the way, that was used. We have a fascinating sidebar story that we published today. I think a really long forgotten but interesting 
uh, chapter, chilling chapter of Chicago history when they found out that the head of the Ku Klux Klan in Illinois 55 years ago was a Chicago police officer and that he was recruiting other police officers. They actually use that rule to drum them all out of the department to to, to get them fired or force them to quit in other cases. Mm. Um, they literally sent an undercover cop who was recruited himself um, into the KKK and uh, reported back to internal affairs and then they busted them, you know, within a matter of months. So there are ways to be more aggressive about this sort of issue. And I think that the nonchalance of the department in the last couple of years with this issue contrasts with the way they reacted uh, very sharply in the sixties. And so as part of your reporting, Tom, you all uncovered this letter that the, uh, the ADL, the anti-defamation league sent to then first deputy superintendent, Eric Carter. This was back in August of 2022. And it showed that eight members of CPD were on the oath keepers membership list that then sparked CPD into opening a new investigation. What do we know about the parameters of of what and who they're going to be looking into? Well, we don't know much about what the scope of the investigation will be or the targets of the investigation. But what we do know about this letter is that it appears to show, really put a fine point on the tolerance that we observed in investigating this, right? When this letter was sent to First Deputy Superintendent Eric Carter, who was the number two official in the police department, who later went on to be the interim superintendent for a time, the police department was already in the middle of a confidential, uh, high-level investigation of three officers over there, alleged ties to the Oath Keepers, right? They get this letter from the ADL. It says, we have more officers than you're even looking at right now. We have the names for you. Here they are, mm-hmm. right? They don't alter the investigation that they're currently doing. They don't even add this letter to the case file of that investigation. And what they wind up doing is, within a few months, is closing out that investigation without finding any wrongdoing whatsoever. And until we got the letter through FOIA and we asked about it, they didn't do anything about it. And now they're saying they're going to do something about it. Whether they will has yet to be seen. But initially found no wrongdoing. All right, well, leave us with this, Dan, because I know that there are several parts to this. Uh, you also looked at connections to the Oath Keepers on the state level. Uh, take this last minute here. Tell us what your next piece of reporting will be about. Yeah, this will be in the in the Sun-Times and online at WBZ.org and, and the Sun-Times website tomorrow. It's it's essentially part three of the series and, and also by the way, on Morning Edition. Uh, I'll have an audio version of it. In a nutshell, it's not just these guys at the CPD. You know, we mentioned an Illinois State trooper. We mentioned a campus cop at UIC. There's a campus cop at Harper College in the northwest suburbs uh, that uh, turned up on this list, a 20-year veteran of their department. Um, and there are others in suburbs and in other communities uh, further south in this state, including Brooklyn, Illinois, which was a town founded in the 1830s by— um, by fugitive slaves, yeah. you know, by runaway uh, slaves right on the Mississippi River across from St. Louis, uh, known as America's first black town. And um, there's an officer there who's an oath keeper. That's it for this episode. It was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Dan Tucker and Ethan Schwab. 
You can read Dan Mahalopoulos and Tom Shuba's full investigation at WBEZ.org or suntimes.com. Are you getting Reset's daily newsletter? Well, it's made just for you with the latest news and stuff to do around the city sent straight to your inbox. Sign up for that at WBEZ.org slash Reset News. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk again this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.